Good morning, everybody. Oh, man, Rob and I just had a moment. He, you were coming to serve, and they were like, we don't need your help right now. But you were there, Rob. You were doing it. He's awesome. Man, how you guys doing today? Woo. Oh, yeah. That was me first service. I was like, woo, you know. But now I'm excited because ca- caffeine's kicked in. I heard there was a football game on today. But uh, since the 49ers and the Chiefs, I mean, we have a lot of Chiefs fans here, a lot of 49ers fans, because Christians, 49ers fans, those two things go together. Sorry, Raiders fans, but so they're not in it. And uh, so I I guess I'm just for hot wings today. That's what I'm for. Uh, What are you having for dinner today? What are you eating? What's the food? Just shout it out. Wings, bacon, chicken. That's cool. What else? Spaghetti. I like it. That was pandering to the Sicilian crowd, wasn't it? For the spaghetti. Yeah, because I'd be all about that. Well, guys, I'm so excited on Super Bowl Sunday. Do not worry. We'll get you out of here in plenty of time to go to the game. But uh, really, I'm more excited about what we're going to talk about today. Continuing in this new series, you've heard it said, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, my big challenge for you and for all of us as we go through this journey together, and I mean it, I know I'm not just saying it on Sunday, I mean it. It's not like when I tell my kids, clean your room, and they just feel like, what? I didn't know, I didn't do it. I'm like, no, I meant it. Read Matthew chapter five, six, and seven every week. Uh, who did it? Pat yourself on the back. If you heard that last week, pat yourself on the back. You're awesome, you're a good Christian, you're blessed, you know, as we're gonna talk about today. Those that did not, you know, Jesus is merciful. Anyways, I'm joking, but I do wanna encourage you to read through these passages five, six, and seven of Matthew, because we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and they're meant to be, this message is meant to be understood as a sermon, as one message uh, that Jesus gives. And and we don't want to just read it. We also want to talk about it together at Joy Group. We want to put it into practice, begin to let these words get into our spirit, get into who we are, and and actually transform us. Because the, the point of the Sermon on the Mount, as we talked about last week, is God is not just looking for us to obey. He wants to transform our hearts into the type of people that want to obey you know, that delight to obey. When we talk about our children and the love and, the, and the, uh, the, the nurture that we pour into our kids, the goal is not just that Jack and Penny and Evie, those are my three kids, that they would learn how to do their chores and brush their teeth and, you know, put their socks on correctly and all that kind of stuff, but like they would become the right type of person as they grow. And so God isn't just looking for people who just sort of cross, you know, check the box on, I did the right stuff, did I murder someone today? No. Okay, that's good. That's kind of bare minimum. He wants to get the hate out of your heart. You know, do I, did I commit adultery today? Did I, did I hop into bed with somebody that I'm not married to? No. Okay, I'm good. No, no, no. That's just box checking. That's religion. God wants to actually get your heart, get the lust out of your heart. And it's not just so he feels good about you or whatever. It's so you actually get to be the person he made you to be. And it's, it's amazing. I think so often we frame the Christian life and the Christian journey of following Jesus as like, man, it's so hard talk about dying to ourselves, like that's true, but there's so much joy in following Jesus to to live the life that he created you to live. And so we're talking all about that in this series. Today, we're going to go back to the beginning. So we kind of did a back to the future thing last week where we went to the end of the message. And and last week, if you didn't, if you weren't able to be here, uh, I'd encourage you to go watch the replay uh, because you can speed it up like on 2x and then you can get through it real quick. But you can hear the message, we talked about the law of love. In uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, treat other people as you'd want to be treated or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this is the essence of the law and the prophets. 
And I talked about the idea that Jesus elevated the standard to the law of love. Again, not just, not just did I obey, but did I, was my inner motivation aligned with God's heart in, in what I did and, and who I am? And so I'd encourage you to go back to that. We kind of started at the end and worked our way back. But today, to make all those people that like things in order, you know, kind of like me, I want everything has its place and do things in order. We're going to start at the beginning of the sermon. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 5. These are words that you've heard before. I think most of us are at least on the surface familiar. We have a cursory familiarity with these words. We call them the Beatitudes, which is come from the Latin word for blessings. Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5, he starts his sermon on the mount with nine blessings that he pronounces over this unlikely audience as we're going to study here in just a minute. Here's what happened. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. One of the things I want to point out is Jesus was actually teaching his disciples. So these are people that are his followers. Now, this wasn't necessarily the 12 disciples as we know them, Peter, John, and them. A few of them he had already gathered, Matthew tells us, but these are people that out of the larger multitudes and crowds that were sort of around Jesus and coming to him because he healed people and was teaching messages and, you know, was known to make bread from time to time, which I'd check that out as well. That's a joke. You can laugh. He, people began to sort of lean in a little bit closer. So these are his disciples that he's speaking to. That's kind of the target of these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who persecuted because of who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, I pray that you would open up these words to us today, Lord, that we would kind of take off pre-understandings and presuppositions about what these words mean. And we'd allow you, Jesus, to speak to us and share this message, share your heart with us, as you did with this unlikely group of people 2,000 years ago that would have heard these words so revolutionary, so different, that shook up the the complete understanding of what it meant to be blessed. Lord, I pray that we would resonate with these words today. We'd respond to you in faith and allow you to reshape our hearts and reshape what it means to be a citizen of your kingdom and a, and a part of your family. Jesus, we want to follow you faithfully. We want to be a good witness for you in the world that we live in. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. To understand Matthew chapter 5 and to understand the Beatitudes requires us to step back a little bit and see what Jesus was up to because Taking a passage of scripture, even though it's fairly familiar to most of us, you know, I've heard these words my entire life, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they who mourn. To be forthright with you, I haven't always understood them. And there's various reasons that I'll share why I never understood them fully. And even why now I still don't understand them fully, because I don't think they're there as sort of a formulaic approach, you know, kind of a step-by-step. If you do these things, it'll get you closer to God. In fact, I would say it's kind of the opposite of that. This isn't really something you do. Some people have said these are the B attitudes, right? There's something that you are or you aren't, but it's not like I improve at being poor in spirit or I improve at being pure hearted. And we're going to talk about this, uh, but but it's really impossible to understand what these words even begin to mean until we understand the historical context and what Jesus meant when he said them originally and who the people were that were listening to them and how they would have received and responded to them. So what was Jesus up to? Well, Matthew, his disciple, that 
recorded these sayings and recorded these words of Jesus, he wrote this gospel for a specific purpose to basically communicate to his people group, the Jewish people, this is the Messiah, this is Jesus. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, we get some insight into what Jesus did and what Jesus talked about. Um, you got to remember, we have 2,000 years of history that we're sort of standing on top of, and we have all these ideas and uh, concepts about Jesus and what he talked about and who he was. And I want you to try to remove all of that and just listen to what Matthew's telling us that Jesus did. It says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This word repent means simply that you're going one way, you turn around and you go the other direction. So Jesus is saying you have a life path, you're going a certain direction. What you need to do is you need to stop, turn around and go the other direction. Okay, that's what it means to repent. And he gives a reason why we need to repent, why you need to repent. Why is the message of Jesus repent? Because there is an opportunity, there is a new kingdom that is available to you, God's kingdom, or otherwise called the kingdom of heaven. Jesus uses these terms interchangeably, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom. He's talking about the place where God's will and his reign is supreme and God gets his way. He says that is now here. So you need to change your life, change your direction that you're going because God has this opportunity for you. In verse 23, of Matthew chapter 4, we get a, a little bit deeper insight. It says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Before we go anywhere else today, I want to just lay this foundation that every time we talk about God's kingdom, in the mind of Jesus, in the words of Jesus, and what it means for people then and what it means for people now, it is always good news. It is always good news. So when we look at the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and we go, gosh, I, this is pretty challenging to me as a person. What we need to remember is that whatever Jesus is asking us to do or inviting us into is always good for us and is always fundamentally good in its core nature. It is good news. And then Jesus doesn't just announce the kingdom. He also demonstrates the kingdom. And we get a little insight into that from Matthew here. He says, and healing every disease and sickness among the people, news spread about him all over Syria and people brought to him who were ill uh, with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So not only did Jesus announce this new ide ideology or philosophy, he's announcing the kingdom, but he's also demonstrating the kingdom because he's doing something that is fundamentally good for people who are suffering. You could say these are the sick, these are the, the broke, the downtrodden, the mentally ill, the distressed. These are the dregs of society of Jesus' day. They're coming to him because they're hearing this good message. And they're not only hearing a good message, they're receiving a good uh, reality of healing. I mean, I want you to imagine if you have a family member and they're locked up with arthritis in a wheelchair or something, and you hear this guy is, uh, you know, teaching and he heals people like you're going to bring your family member. And so they're seeing the outworking of the kingdom. They're hearing it. And Matthew says in verse 25, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom. He's demonstrating the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Well, simply, a kingdom is a realm in which the king's will is fulfilled, where the king's, whoever the king is, protection and provision is available. So the king's law creates the safety of the, the kingdom. You're not allowed to do things outside of what the king wants you to do or you bear uh, the king's wrath, right? We kind of get this idea, though we don't live in a kingdom today, but we get this idea. So when Jesus talks about God's kingdom, he's saying God is the sovereign. He's the monarch on the throne and his kingdom is where he gets his way. It's where 
the way things, uh, the way things, where things are the way God wants them to be. And this is a, a really important thing because Jesus is comparing and contrasting God's kingdom, which is really, really good. People get healed. Sin and strife and brokenness are, are gone. It's good news. Like God's kingdom is really, really awesome. And he's comparing that to the kingdom that his listeners then, and we would be familiar with today, the kingdom of this earth, which is a really broken place, right? The kingdom of this world um, where, where God is not necessarily always getting his way, okay? Because people will say things to me like, well, pastor, you know, my family member was just diagnosed with this disease, but it's God's will. And I'm like, that's not God's will. God doesn't actually will that you would have sickness because the scripture is pretty clear that he doesn't will that. But people have this misguided interpretation thinking that God always enforces his will at all times. That's not the case. And we don't have time to talk about that. But basically, Jesus is, is comparing and contrasting the kingdom of this world where things are busted and God's kingdom where things are good. The kingdom of this world is full of hate and anger, lust, greed, competition, cruelty, husky fans. I mean, there's bad stuff. Um, there's bad stuff in the kingdom of this world. Sorry, forgive me, Lord. Okay, but the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom is full of peace, love, and joy. Come on, somebody, it's full of spaghetti and meatballs. Come on, it's perfect harmony between God and other people. Perfect harmony between you and God. Like, it's a wonderful place. It's a perfect, sinless environment for perfect, sinless people to commune with a perfectly loving God. Sounds really exclusive, huh? You know, many... Many men are going to be taking their wife out to a restaurant tomorrow night and not be able to pronounce the things on the menu. I'll have the, you know. And <laughs> you ever have this experience like, I don't belong here, right? You know what I mean? This is, I think, how most of us feel about God's kingdom. It's like God's kingdom is just perfect, and it's for perfect, sinless people. How many perfect, sinless people are there? None. So who gets to be a part of God's kingdom? And that's the question, isn't it? I remember in Mexico a couple years ago, we went on vacation. We were in Cabo San Lucas, and Bethany and I were there on the beach with our kids. And we're looking at the Pacific Ocean, and it's this beautiful, incredible uh, moment. And the kids want to do sandcastles and stuff. And so we notice, we look over, and there's this really nice beach beds that the resort has laid out. And anybody ever been to Mexico and you see those beach beds? It's kind of like crisp white linens, you know, nice little mattress, and uh, just like a place where you can lounge and look at the ocean or whatever. So we're thinking, hey, we've paid our fee. We're, we're members of, we're, you know, esteemed members, illustrious members of this resort. And uh, we've watched the timeshare presentation. So therefore, you know, we can, what <laughs> do I say? So we get on the beach bed and we're, we're laying there and we're just, I'm get, I think I'd actually kind of fallen asleep. The kids are doing sandcastles and all of a sudden this really nice Hispanic guy, Mexican guy comes up and he's like, excuse me, um, you know, uh, these, uh, have you paid for this? These are like $60 a day. And we're like, Ooh. So we quickly gathered our things and realized this is not for people like us because I'm not a $60 for a beach bed type per day kind of guy, okay? And, uh, and so we realized, man, this is like exclusive and, I, and I'm out of here. And I think that's how a lot of people feel and probably rightfully so about God's kingdom is like, I don't belong here. These aren't my type of people because I don't, I don't qualify. And this is why Jesus' message is so dynamic you know, again, we have to kind of get away from the fact we've heard it for 2,000 years and we think we know what it means. If we put ourselves in the shoes of the people that first heard it, this is the most unlikely group of people that Jesus chooses to invite into his kingdom. 
the first to hear Jesus' message, the invitation to the kingdom, announcing God's kingdom is now available to them, are the poor, the downtrodden. These are the fishermen and farmers. They're the, they're the, uh, the people that were unimportant. They didn't have influence. They weren't wealthy. Now, we, we kind of have an idea in our culture of like blue-collar people, and maybe many of, and I grew up in this type of a family. It's like we're blue-collar, we're you know, we, we don't know how to pronounce the names of the, at the French restaurant. We're not, we, we don't go on the beach beds in Mexico. You know, we just sit on the sand like poor people. You know, we just, just kind of the blue collar idea. But, but I want to just say this. Most of us in our time, in our culture, we actually do not know what it was like for these people. Because though you say someone is sort of of the lower caste or they're, they're the fisherman or the farmer, these were subsistence living people. Meaning, when you're a fisherman, your kids don't eat if, if you have a bad day at work. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like in Eugene, you can lose your job, and there's still some wonderful organizations that will be like, we can give you food. If you were here today, and you like literally do not have food, we will give you some food. Is that okay? Like, we will give you some food. We've done it before. Somebody comes in and is like, I just, I'm in a bad spot. I don't have food. Like, we will give you food. We do not live in a society unless somebody, you know, I know people fall through the cracks, so don't, don't, don't overly parse my words here. But, but, but by and large, we live in a society that does not understand what it means to be a subsistence level. You realize in Jesus' time, if you're a fisherman and you have a bad day at work, Rome does not, they don't offer you like child advance tax credit. <laughs> Caesar doesn't like write you a letter and be like, hey, this is from the office of Caesar. We just really care about you, your wellness holistically. We want to make sure your kids are okay. So here's your advance, you know, tax credit. That does not happen. Rome is like, we want our taxes, and if you don't give them to us, we'll just burn your house down and kill you, or, or whatever. And so you have to go and scrape out what you're going to eat that day. So do you, do you have this in your mind? These are the people that have taken time away from fishing and farming and whatever they're doing to come and hear Jesus, because they're, they're desperate for something. They're, they're listening to him. So Jesus gives this invitation to them, and the way he does it is he announces these blessings, okay? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and we just read them. But I want you to understand something. Everything Jesus said was revolutionary to them. He turns their whole idea of blessing on its head, because in their minds, and I think we still think this way today, blessing, here's what blessing is, or being blessed, it means God is with you and for you. God is on your side. And the way they saw this was that if you have money, if you have influence, if people respect you, um, if you have, you know, a couple of different fields and you can afford to take time off to go and listen to this guy, Jesus, that means you're blessed. All of their historical figures, when they thought about Abraham, he was rich, God was with him, he was blessed. When they thought about David, it was like he was blessed, he was a king, he was a hero, people respected him. Success on this earthly plane equals blessing. Everybody with me? Okay? You take the test and you would hear that, right? You'd be able to answer. That's what they thought blessing meant. And so they hear Jesus begin to talk about blessing, and they primarily understood this word blessing through the lens of worldly success, success, wealth, wisdom, and influence. And Jesus begins his series of blessings. But again, this wasn't the first time they'd ever heard somebody speak like this or talk about blessings. If you go through Psalms and Proverbs, it'll say, blessed is the man who does X, Y, Z. Even uh, a famous Jewish teacher named Rabbi, uh, his name was Jesus, Jesus ben Sirach, he gives blessings that are recorded in the Apocrypha. And it's not scripture, it's not Bible, but it kind of sounds like the Bible. This is what he said. There are nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth my tongue proclaims. Blessed is the man who can rejoice in his children. Yeah, that sounds good. Kind of sounds like Psalms or Proverbs. 
Blessed is the man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. And I'm like, well, in college football, that's good, so... But, but actually, what he's saying is, you know, blessing equals that you you're win, right? Your foes go down. The people that oppose you, they lose, and you win. Then he said, blessed is the man who does not sin with his tongue. And you're like, that's probably good, too. Sounds like good teaching. And what he's saying here is, man, when you do the right stuff, if you practice good behavior, you, you have blessing. God is with you and for you when you don't sin. Blessed is the one who does not serve an inferior. And you're like, okay that sounds good too. I don't want to serve an inferior. Like when I think about this, I don't want to, you know, I want to have status and I want to have respect. I want people to respect me. And these are things that aren't necessarily wrong or evil or bad. But when you realize Jesus listeners have been taught this stuff, they've heard success means blessing. Blessing means success. And he goes on, he says, blessed is the one who finds a friend. So what's he saying? Blessing equals people that like me. If I find relationships that value me, and they, they appreciate, you know, me for me, like that old song, she likes me for me, not because, you remember that, anybody? Thank you, honest people, appreciate that. What's the, not because I talk like dirty Harry, I don't know, there's a whole song, you have to look it up afterwards, that'll be in my head the rest of the day. <laughs> blessed is the one who speaks to attentive listeners, and here he's saying blessing equals influence and authority, people listen to me, okay, so this is Jesus ben Sirach. So this is 150 years before Jesus of Nazareth comes along. And Jesus of Nazareth, then, he drops these words into the, uh, into the equation, into the story. And it's radical. It's just radical. He says, blessed. And they're all listening, thinking, okay, he's going to tell us how to become wealthy and healthy and wise. <laughs> Jesus is going to tell all of us poor people, all of us broke folk, He's going to tell us how to level up and be the kind of person that God is with and for. And Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, I'm going to upturn your entire idea of blessing. I'm going to upturn the entire system of this world, turn it over. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God, his VIP beach bed that you can't afford is available to you right now, those of you that are poor in spirit. Now, Jesus' listeners, people have, throughout history have tried to figure this out. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Some have over-spiritualized it. And they said, oh, poor in spirit means all the spiritual things. And they, they over-spiritualized Jesus' message. Others have over-contextualized or socialized Jesus' message. And they'll say, well, this means you have to be poor. You, you actually can't have any possessions. And so what, what, which one is it? Well, it's a combination of both. Because Jesus' listeners are actually poor people. These are subsistence farmers and fishermen. They're the prostitutes, and uh, there are other people in his audience that are maybe a little bit more wealthy, but by and large, these are the, the you know, lower-level people in this society, unimportant, unvalued. And... But he's also talking about their heart condition. You see, they didn't see themselves as anything. Because they were the uh, unimportant, because they were the, the, the non-influential people, they didn't think, man, we're really bringing something to the table here. And I want you to catch this, because... Jesus is a master of human nature. Like he recognizes that the more we have, the, more, the less we tend to think we need what God has for us. The more monetary resources and the more influence and respect and status that I acquire as a human being, it allows me to feel a little bit more secure in my skin in this kingdom. Isn't this true? Like I've heard people say ridiculous things like, well, 
that person would make a really good Christian because they have like a good family and like what they're saying is they're already blessed by God. They just don't have the Jesus piece. And it makes me think this is so weird. Like, do you think that God is sitting here going, you know, you guys in America, because of the Constitution, I've decided to bless you. But all of my children in Africa and all my children in China and all my children in South America, they're not blessed because their politics are not as good as yours. And their founding fathers weren't the same. Do you hear how ridiculous this is? But this is how we think about blessing. And even as Christians, we're like, man, I'm just too blessed to be stressed. You know? And we think that when things go bad or we don't get the promotion, like, well, I don't have God's blessing. What did I do? Did I sin? And Jesus is saying, look, I, Jesus wants to bless your finances. Like, we'll talk about that. I'm not throwing out lots of the other parts of the Bible to make a point here today. But what I want us to do is realize Jesus is saying, if you think that you're it and you've got it, like you're missing the point. Those that realize I don't have it, like I don't have anything, I don't have any hope, I don't have any resources to sort of level myself up. Jesus says, I want you to understand that you are blessed. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is coming to you today. So Jesus is turning over this whole, this whole understanding. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. How do we understand these things? When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, does he mean that if you're having like a really sad day and you're like in mourning or somebody in your family passes away or your dog dies or whatever, that like you're more blessed because you're sad and all the emo people are like, yeah. no, that's not. What Jesus is saying here, again, there's a couple of levels to this, but mourning, uh, there were people in his audience that were actually sad. Like, think about this. They were diseased and paralyzed and hungry and they're, they're poor. So like they have a reason to be in mourning. Like there's, they're upset about things. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven brings comfort to those who are mourning. Do you realize how beautiful that message is? Hey, sad people, God loves you. Even though you don't see the situation that you wish wasn't that way turned over or changed in, in, the, in the timing that you wish, God is still for you and he's still with you. That's a really powerful message because I don't know about you, but sometimes I am in mourning. But there's another level to this because as he goes on and talks about meekness and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, there's also something about living in the, in the dissatisfaction of the now moment of saying, you know what, I'm actually kind of in mourning. I'm not just going to medicate myself with Netflix and whatever pills I can find and whatever food and, and friendships and social media, but I'm going to recognize that like there is pain and suffering in this world and I'm not just going to sort of, uh, uh, you know, get away from it and anesthetize myself from that, but I'm going to allow myself to actually feel sorrowful for the brokenness of this world. He goes on and talks about meekness. He says, meek, meek is a word we don't use often, but what it means is unimportant. What, what Jesus is saying here is like, if you don't think about yourself as being more important than other people. Now, these people that Jesus was talking to were actually literally unimportant. Nobody was asking their opinion. No one was doing a poll saying, what do the farmers and fishermen of rural Judea and Galilee think about the policies of the Roman Empire? Like, they don't care. Nobody cared. And so Jesus was saying, you don't have any power. You're not important. But also, the spiritual level to this is like, if you do have power, if you do have wealth, if you, do, if you are important. Yeah, we have a lot of important people in this room today. 
Some of you own businesses. Some of you are leaders in the community. Some of you are actually important, like your opinion matters. I don't know if we have any politicians here. They don't tend to go to church, so it's... Um, I'm kidding. We actually need people to be in office, and I appreciate our politicians. That's a joke, but lawyers get picked on so much, you know, we have to help pick on other things. Um, But there are people that are actually important, and the words of Jesus when he says, be meek, we see later in Scripture, Paul tells believers that you need to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who, though he was equal with God, though he was actually important, he didn't cling to that. He humbled himself even as far as to die like a criminal on a cross. Why? Because of love, because he was bringing in this new kingdom. The meek will inherit the earth. Uh, It's a key biblical theme. And then this idea of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled is interesting, is hunger and thirst is not something that you choose or create this state in yourself, other than maybe by intentionally fasting. But for the most part, hunger and thirst are something that come upon us Uh, based on the absence of something. And so Jesus is saying, if you find in yourself this hunger as you look out at the world around you and you recognize that people are broken in their relationships with one another and there's brokenness in people's relationships with God and there's this visceral response like, man, I wish I could do something about this because this place is just broken. He's saying, hey, you're blessed because you get it. You're blessed because you recognize the fact that this world has nothing to offer and it's, a, it's broken. It has, it's fallen world. It's, it's, it's drifted or even been you know, heavily drifted away from what God originally intended. But because God's kingdom is here, you're blessed because you resonate with that and his kingdom is here and it's the solution. Are you with me? So again, we have these poor, unimportant, meek. They didn't think of themselves as important. But even if you do think of yourself as important, Jesus is saying, don't think of yourself as important because you're not the answer. It's this kingdom. What God is doing is more important than what I do. And what's interesting about this message is there is no practical takeaway. Like, I don't have any three points for you at the end. Like, okay, so go home. And then here's how you level up your meekness. Like, I can't, I have nothing for you because these are not do attitudes. They're be attitudes. Jesus is saying, this is the right heart in the kingdom of God. But you're going to be filled if you have that hunger and thirst for righteousness. He goes on, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. This one's very clear. And mercy is showing God's love to someone in need, even and especially those who don't deserve it. Jesus talks about this in, later in the Sermon on the Mount. We went through this last week. He says, hey, you've heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies because anybody can love their friends, but it takes the real supernatural power of God, that type of love, God's kind of love, to actually extend it to those who do not deserve. And so Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy, kindness, compassion, and healing the wounded you encounter, whether they're spiritually wounded, physically wounded, emotionally Whatever the wound is, you, you, you go and heal it. Like when Jesus was asked later in the New Testament, well, who is my neighbor? And he doesn't say, well, here's the answer. He actually tells a story about the Good Samaritan. I don't have time to go through it, but the neighbor was the one in need. Who, who do you have the right to hate? Nobody. Who do you have the responsibility to love? Everyone. And Jesus says, blessed are those who connect with this reality, being merciful. You're going to be shown mercy. This is where we get to introduce a little bit of God's kingdom into earth. He goes on, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? It means 
You don't care about prestige and honor and power and influence and pursuing the accolades. You know, you're, you're not singing R-E-S-B-E-C-T. You just, that's not what you need. That doesn't fulfill you. Um, you're pure in heart. And so what you're going to get is you're going to see God. A pure-hearted person, all they care about is they want to see God. They want to connect with God. They have a heart for him. Like what C.S. Lewis said, he that has God and everything else has no more than he that has God alone. God told Abram, he said, Abram, I am your exceedingly great reward. Abram had the opportunity to get status and wealth and respect. And he was given this revelation that all mature people are given, which is so powerful. And if you have ears to hear, hear what I'm saying today, that if you will understand that if you will stop pursuing the accolades and the prestige and the respect and the status of this world and say, I just want to see God, he will give those things to you as he sees fit for the benefit and glory of his kingdom. But you have it all when you get to see God. And pure, pure hearted people, they they say, well, I don't need the promotion because I'm here to serve in this area. I'm, I, am, I serve at the mercy of the king, so I, I go where I'm told to go by my king and I serve there. And if I have the ear of the king and the heart of the king and the face of the king, what else do I need? What could you give me? Well, the president wants to speak to you. Well, I don't, I don't need that because the king has already, not just the king of a country, but the king of the universe has already graced me with his presence. So Jesus introduces a whole new metric of how we measure success in life. You know, I've, I've been realized when I read these words and then just letting them kind of sit in my heart like tea, you know, you kind of steep your tea bag, like letting these words sit on your heart. You'll recognize that probably 70, 80% of your life, like this is me recognizing this, is really about pursuing things other than the face of God. And what I find is that my heart's not pure. Like my heart will say, I want Jesus and I want God's kingdom, but what I really want is more money and more people to like, like my stuff on social media and more people to compliment my skinny jeans. You know, those, the skinny jean compliments have gone way down, right? Where like the ratios are way down, just teasing. But whatever it is that sort of fills your cup, pure-hearted people say, I, I don't need that, I, I, I see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You know that as... Children of God are called to be agents of reconciliation. Bethany has done a message before about the difference between being a peacekeeper or a peacemaker. A peacemaker is proactively placing themselves into conflict in a vulnerable position where one person is mad, this other person is mad, and you're there as the bridge. You know what happens when you jump in between two people shooting at each other? You get shot by both of them. And as a Christian, Jesus says you're called to actually put yourself in vulnerable relational conflict, not with the purpose of adjudicating, but with the purpose of reuniting and reconciling and bringing people together. Because yeah. what everyone actually is, is a child of God. And there's misunderstandings and things. And people do wrong things and all of that. But we're called to make peace and be these reconcilers. And this is what God's kids do. They make peace. Like when you think about being born again and you're born into the family of God, this is how I think about it, is that if I have God's DNA, if I have his blood running through my veins, what is his character? Who is my father? And my father is the one that looked at me 
in enmity with him and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so I could be reconciled with God, how can I say I'm not going to give an effort to reconcile other people to each other or to you, Lord, if that blood is in my veins? Is my paternity of my Father in heaven, if it is, then I can do nothing other than be a reconciler, than be a peacemaker. I was with someone recently that, you know, had had some relational conflict with over a period of time, and we have a relationship, and I was expressing some kindness and to this person, and they said, well, I just really feel like you're being very kind. And I just said, and I said, honestly, um, I can't do anything else. If I say I'm a child of God, I don't have any hate in my heart towards you. Um, and I ask you to forgive me for what I've done. But the reality is like, it's not me being like, oh, I'm so holy. I'm so great. It's not. It's that how could I ever receive what Jesus did for me and not be transformed by it? And all I was expressing is I'm experiencing operating in the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of this earth because I'm not keeping score with you. Because if I kept score with you, then I would need somebody to keep score with me. And that's a really bad idea. Come on. Is this making sense to anybody out here today? Even one person, it'll be worth it, okay? And so Jesus says, hey, in my kingdom, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. He goes on, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness is doing right by God, by others. When you live righteously and you don't have a holier-than-thou attitude, like if you live righteously to get noticed and credit by other people, then that's not being pure-hearted and you received your reward. Whatever good feeling somebody had to you, whatever they thought, man, you know, they're really righteous, that's your whole reward. If you'd rather live righteously and get rewarded by God, then we do what Jesus tells us later, which is we give in secret, we pray in secret. Like we're not putting our, our show out there so that people will notice how amazing we are. We do good things to give God glory. But Jesus says, when you do the right stuff, when you follow me, when you're in this kingdom and you operate according to this new standard of blessedness, people are going to criticize you. They're going to persecute you. It's going to draw some heat. He goes on. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of your own stupid actions? No, because of who? Me. So what he's saying is when you wear the cause of Christ out loud, when you have your, please don't do this, but like your Jesus, you know, logo on your shirt, just don't do that in reality. Hear me. That's, this is metaphorical, okay? But when you live your faith out loud and people see that you represent Christ, they are going to misunderstand you, falsely accuse you. Has this happened to anybody before? Like, as you intentionally try to lean in and make peace, people are going to be like, ah! As you try to live out the ethic of Christ and the character of Christ and the heart of Christ, even with the right spirit, you can get it all right and even have good bedside manner and tone in the way that you communicate it, and people will still not like you exclusively for the reason that you're representing Jesus. And he says, expect it, get ready for it. Don't pursue persecution. Don't look for it. Don't be trying to do weird stuff to make people persecute you. But as you follow me in this world, because you're living in a different kingdom, those in this world, they're not going to like it. He, he kind of illustrates this or illuminates this more in John chapter 15 when he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You see, the world doesn't like it when the poor in spirit get elevated to a position of blessed, being blessed. The world doesn't like it when the unimportant suddenly become great in the kingdom of God. 
The world doesn't like it when those that were lost and broken in their sin begin to be transformed and changed and no longer dance to the same tune that the rest of everybody's dancing to in addiction and sexual impurity and all this kind of stuff. And they begin to live pure before God and righteously amongst others. And they begin to, uh, to grow. They begin to show the outward signs of the fruit of the kingdom of God. Like the world doesn't like that because what you are is a living uh, rebuke to their way of life. You know, I remember being a teenager, my, my dad, uh, what a man of God, he woke up for like every day at 5 a.m. and would go to early morning prayer at 5.30. And he did it for like 20, 30 years, just amazing. He still prays every day, you know, early in the morning and all that. And um, I feel like I am more enlightened, so I try to do my praying after nine in the morning. But you know, for him, it was the <laughs> religiousness. No, I'm kidding, just a man of God. But I remember as a teenager, where at one point when I was in the internship, he was like, all right, you know, you're going to go pray with me in the morning. And I'm like, no, that's okay. And he's like, you nope, you're going to. Okay, I'm going to. Hey, did you know it's okay to like make your kids stuff do they don't want to do? Just laying that out there for their own benefit. Not like bad stuff, but nobody. You can actually like parent your children and like challenge them to be better. Okay, anyways, I'll just leave that out there. So that's what my dad did for me. And uh, man, you, that's, I guess that's a hard message. I, Lord, I'm trying to help these people, but I, okay. So I feel like Tevia here. You know what I mean? Father, I, if I were a rich man. So anyways, we get up. I don't know where I'm at now. I just, <laughs> yes, I remember. Okay. So he would come in my room and turn the light on and be like, time to wake up. My mom used to sing this song. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up in the morning. And she'd always hit the high notes. Oh, it's bad. Here's the deal. When you turn the light on, people don't like it. That's the whole point of all that stuff I just said. When you turn the light on, we're going to talk about this next week. When you bring the salt in, they don't like it. When you turn the light on, no, because the world in darkness just wants to stay in the comfortable darkness. So what, here's what happens when you, you goody little two-shoes, righteous weirdo, you know, you kingdom of God, new creation, like you start going, well, I'm actually going to like not be addicted to crack anymore. And people are like, you, no, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? You're in a cult now. You're like, I don't do drugs anymore because of Jesus. And you think I'm in a cult? I'm not going to like become everybody's bedmate in the city anymore. And you think something's wrong with me? Good things are happening, but the world does not like the light. Okay, I'm preaching next week's message already little preview. That is good. What Jesus wants to do in you is turn on the light and all of a sudden you become a brand new creation and all this stuff, but the world isn't going to like it. So he says, get ready for it. But this is where it ends. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the same way, when other people turn the light on, people, other people didn't like it but you're blessed. I'm turning the whole thing over. Listen, if you're here today and you're brokenhearted, you're poor in spirit, maybe you're actually poor and you don't have anything, you don't have two nickels to rub together and you think that disqualifies you, it doesn't. Jesus said you're blessed. Why are you blessed? Because his kingdom is here. Because Jesus came to this planet and said, it's not for the rich and the powerful and those who look like they have the answer. The only answer is in Christ and there's no, uh, th there's no steps at the foot of the cross. We all come to the cross and you can enter into this kingdom or you can reject it, but you're blessed because this kingdom is here and available to you. Jesus later in Matthew, he says, John the Baptist is the greatest of any of my followers that came before. All the prophets, all the people out of the Old Testament, he was absolutely the top. He was the best, but... The person who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
And what he was saying is this new kingdom I'm introducing, this new status of being made right with God and right with other people, not based on your qualifications, but based on grace and the fact that the king invited you in personally. So it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Maybe you're here today and you're so addicted and you're so brokenhearted and you think I could never be free. Listen, it's not about what you think about yourself or what other people say. Jesus is inviting you to come and sit at his table and drink the cup of freedom today in Jesus' name. Well, Pastor Jake, you don't know my past and I don't want to know your past because I know your future, that when you turn your life to Jesus, he will restore you and redeem you and reconcile with you with God and you will sit purified and sanctified in his presence and live a life of purpose in Jesus' name. Jesus went to the broken, he went to the poor in spirit and he invites us not to do this stuff. Again, there's no three-step, here's how to be a better Christian today message. What we wanna do is look at these things and say, Jesus, you painted a picture here. I'm looking in the mirror. What do I see? What do I see? Do I think of myself as important? Am I, am I poor in spirit? Maybe, I, maybe I'm not actually poor. Great, great. But I need to be poor in spirit. I need to, to recognize I don't have anything to offer God and I receive it all by grace. I wanna be a peacemaker. Lord, I wanna be a person that mercy comes through. It's not something I can just stir up in myself or whatever. It's as I connect with God, he's gonna bring this out of me. So we just respond to this today in faith. We hear the words of Jesus and we say yes and amen. I just want it to transform me. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I give you this message today, Lord. We pray that even on Super Bowl Sunday, we would grow in our faith and our walk with you, Lord. We, we're not walking out of here with an easy formula for spiritual growth. We have something much better, which is revelation Jesus, you said these provocative, revolutionary, transformative things, and they mean something. They mean something beyond us earning it or getting somewhere with you or earning our status with you. You're just inviting us to be part of this kingdom, regardless of where we are right now. So Lord, we turn our hearts to you. If you're here today and you say, Jake, I, I want to turn my life to Christ. I want to put my faith in Jesus. Would you, would you just pray right now? Just say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I call upon you. I want to enter your kingdom. Would you reconcile me with God? And if you pray this today, if you're in faith calling out upon the Lord, just come and talk to me after, and I'll share with you some steps to walk in your, your journey with the Lord. But Lord, for all of us today, whether we've been following you for 20 years or this is the start of that journey, let us be your people. You are our God. We receive what you're doing in our lives today, and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.